You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Oh, I am all kinds of tired today, but it is Friday, so I will power through and um, we'll make this thing work. But um, due to a little bit of a lack of time, I I, want to just start powering through a bunch of questions as rapidly as I possibly can. Fortunately, um, I got loaded up with a ton, and so we'll do some rapid fire today, and we'll see how far we get. Also, as a reminder, love you guys. Do whatever you want. It's your Discord and whatnot, but uh, let's try to keep the discussion in the general and the questions in the questions, because it's taken me some time to kind of sift through there and find questions. I want to start, though, with a question that I got from um, actually a text message. for This is kind of a lost thing that I used to pump up all the time. But if you look at the show notes, there is a phone number there. It's not my personal phone number. It's just a uh, Google voice thing goes off into Never Never Land. Um, you can leave a voicemail, although I've been terrible at getting to the voicemails because it takes time for me to sit and listen to them. I know that sounds ridiculous because we're talking about maybe 30 seconds, but it just is one of those things where it's like, I'll listen to that in a little bit and then I forget. But again, that's kind of one of those when I relaunch that's going to be a bigger thing. But as of right now, you can do it, but it's probably just going to sit there. And I'm mostly talking to you, Andy. I'm sorry, man. (laughs) I've got just, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Uh, 13 just sitting right here from Andy's in the last, uh, I guess that would be over two months, but yeah, 13. And then there's one other call from one other person in that span. It's the Andy number is what it is. But anyways, I got a question here, and I don't think I have a name. If I do, I didn't take it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do. It's uh, Mac from Canada. So Mac from Canada had a question. He said that he thinks adding edge in the draft is a pretty big need and would open things up for everyone along the offense or defensive line. It's going to be a struggle, all right? Let me slam some coffee, and I'll reread this. All right. Would really open things up for everyone on the line. Where in the draft do you think we can get that value while also hitting on offensive line in corners? So I'll, I'll kind of disregard the last part because that's going to spend send me into a tailspin of possibilities. But the point is, if I'm reading this correctly, I really think we should address edge, but it's not a top priority. So how late do you think we can wait on edge and still get a good player? So all I really did is I looked at the consensus big board I went to the bottom of the list, and I started going until I went up and found some people that I liked. Um, And then, you know, how far down the list are they? So there's kind of three guys that I've got here that are sort of markers. In other words, as I go up, there's a guy where it's like, eh, maybe. 
And then you keep going up and then it's like, yeah, probably. And then I got my official, like this guy for sure. I'm okay with, um, I think the lowest guy on this list that I would be semi okay with would be Malik Herring out of Georgia. He's at number 222. So at 222, we're talking late sixth round. In fact, the Packers pick at 221. Now, I don't know that this guy is going to be a a really good starter. Um, for a team that already has a bunch of guys, I think there's potential here. Six foot three, 280, he kind of fits that mold, right? The big body guy. Um, I think the big question for him is how good of a pass rusher can he be? But I think at the very least, you're going to get a good run defender. He kind of reminds me of Preston Smith in that way. That's what he was coming out of Washington. This guy is one of the top run defending um, edge rushers in football. His pass rush is kind of mediocre. That's exactly what Malik is. Now, obviously, Preston came here. He couldn't stop the run to save his life and also isn't a great pass rusher. But that's a separate story. Now, he did actually, so he said four years at Georgia. It's a big program, big body guy. He did grade out fairly well as a pass rusher in 2018 and 2019, but his stats were never all that great. He's always hovering around like 11%. And again, college, you generally do better than um, than you do in the pros. Not always the case, but generally the case. The guys that are super dominant getting like 19, 20% pass rush production or, or, or percentage, whatever, they're not doing that in the pros. Now, to be completely honest, if Malik Herring is... Anything that I'm describing, in other words, he could be a decent edge rusher to the capacity that I'm saying. He's not going in the sixth round. So it's that's all, as far as he is on the list. I don't actually think sixth round um, is going to be able to get a lot of production, but I'm kind of jumping back and forth between how late in the draft they could go and which prospects. So if, if we say, okay, I'm not really into that because he's sort of a one-dimensional guy, um, let's move up a little bit. You got a guy by the name of Chauncey Golston out of Iowa. Chauncey Golston is at 191, which is still in the sixth round. It's at the uh, sort of beginning of the sixth round. Golston um, is a little bit different. He he sort of broke out as a run defender, so 6'5", 270. Again, big guy, uh, a lot taller, so he's got the long arms to go with it. Again, he fits that mold, Preston, Zadarius, Rashawn, whatever. Um, first year in Iowa. So again, four years, first year in Iowa, didn't do much. Second year wasn't very good. He had a full-time role in 2018, but wasn't great. 2019, he broke out as a run defender, but still not a great pass rusher. Only 28 pressures out of 453 attempts, which is really bad. But again, he did a really good job against the run. So he's learning how to use his size. 2020, and he did play a pretty decent size schedule. He played eight games, which isn't terrible. Um, He maintained that level of run defense, but he really stepped up as a pass rusher, 34 pressures on 250 attempts. So that's 13.6%. Six sacks, six hits, and 22 hurries, all while being a pretty good run defender. Also actually graded out decently in coverage, only nine attempts, but still it's a thing. So again, this is more iffy because it's really just one year, but every year things just keep getting better, right? He, He wasn't good at anything in 2019, was only good against the run in... 2018, was was only good against the run in 2019, and then 2020, he kind of does everything pretty well. A little bit risky, not elite in any one category, but decent in all the categories, and he's got a good build and all that stuff, so it's an option. Then you get to Dalen Hayes, which is kind of where I would draw the line at. I kind of like the guy. Now, it's still iffy, because he had just one big breakout year, but he's been at Notre Dame for five years, 6'4", 270, again, same size, same kind of build, whatever. 
But in 2020, he had an 81 overall run defense grade, so did really, really solid, a 78 pass rush grade, but he had 33 pressures on 233 attempts. Only three sacks, so again, people are going to look at that and say he kind of was trash because he only had three sacks. But we're talking 14% pressure rate, which is solid. So again, I can't project any of these guys into the pros. Gregory Rousseau, who likely is going to go in the first round, could be a complete and utter bust. He, he actually probably is going to make it to the second round, if I'm being completely honest. But any of the guys, uh, Ojolari, Quiddy Pay, no idea how any of these guys are going to do. The year we got Rashawn Gary was so unbelievably stacked with pass rushers and elite. I mean, that was what that draft was about. It was about pass rushers. That's where the, the, the draft was stacked. Bosa is really the only guy that is just an absolute freak out of that entire group. Burns, I think, is doing okay. Rashawn is slightly getting better. I, I'm struggling to even remember who else was in there, but... A couple other guys are, are starting to come into their own, but nobody's just an absolute dominant freak. This group as a whole is not as good. So I'm, I, I can't tell you what a fifth-round pick pass rusher is going to do. But I will say I've gone through several uh, mock drafts and whatnot, and when I look at guys, as you go down the line, there are some pretty promising guys, especially smaller school guys, which I don't usually like. Um, a lot of times they uh, get picked up and they don't do very well. Who, who the, I think he's a... Saint? Raiders, Ade Aruna um, from Tulane Green Wave, 6'5", 263. He was a sixth-round pick. Um, I never liked him when I watched him on film at all, and I don't think he's played a single snap in the pros. Uh, but he, he kind of had a lot of hype. You got the same thing with guys like Patrick Johnson, edge rusher out of Tulane, probably a fifth or sixth-round pick. You got Teron Jackson, edge rusher out of Coastal Carolina. The stats re- look real good. Um the size is real good. You know, you got Leighton McCarthy out of FAU, Raymond Johnson out of Georgia Southern. So there's a lot of small school guys that are tearing it up. Um, Ellerson Smith, Northern Iowa. And you just got to ask the question, can they um, do any of this in the pros? Jordan Smith, edge rusher out of UAB. Cam Sample out of Tulane. Depending on your level of trust that they can do that in the pros, there's a lot of guys that are just really, really good at smaller schools. But... Um, I do like a lot of these guys. I mean, the second round, I've said, a lot of talent. I think even third round guys. So second round, you're looking at uh, Jason Oway, Joseph Asai, Carlos Basham, Tr- Joe Tryon, Ronnie Perkins. Uh, third round, you got Quincy Roche, Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, Hamilcar Rashad. I would say comfortably fourth round, possibly fifth round. So names, I'm looking at like Dalen Hayes, Chauncey Golston round in general that I would be comfortable that maybe he can do something, probably fifth. Now, keep in mind, the odds of somebody being a dominant edge rusher, like if you want an elite prospect, you really are looking first round. After that, it just really doesn't happen very often. I mean, Zadarius would be an exception. There's always exceptions. But if you're talking about a role player that can come in and do some stuff, maybe fifth round. Uh, Brendan in the Facebook group wants me to play, how do I say it? relations, marry, or kill with Rogers, Lafleur, and Goody. Why do I have to do any? Those are three horrible things. It's like saying you got a knife, you got a fork, and you got a spoon. You got to put one in your eye, one down your throat, and uh, one right through your chest. Go. I'm not playing that game. Brendan, I, I, you know, I'm not opposed to these kinds of questions, but you're going to make me do three horrible things on my own show. You're out of your mind. You're going to make me, what, kill Rogers on my own? Po- I can't do that. Reformulate the question, come back to me. 
Cody wants to know my top prospect you want the Packers to draft in the first or second round. I haven't quite honed in on it yet, which means I probably should wait on this question, but I don't know if I'm going to have one, so we'll just talk about it now. I do like a lot of the tackles. Uh, Generally, offensive line is kind of a boring pick. Um, Even for me, as much as I love offensive line, it's kind of like, oh man, I'd like something exciting. But, I mean, you go down the list, Tevin Jenkins, uh, Sam Cosme, Jalen Mayfield, um, Alex Leatherwood, Liam Eikenberg. There's a lot of guys there that I think are extremely talented. I feel like getting excited about wide receiver makes me irresponsible, and I'm trying to get that out of my head. Like, there's a little voice when I say, ooh, Kadarius Tony would be cool, that goes, you're one of those fans? Ugh. It's like, dude, shut, shut up. Like, I'm too good to draft a wide I'm too intelligent to draft a wide receiver in the first round. <laughs> like, dude, you are an obnoxious moron. Go away. Um, but Kadarius would be very cool. Uh, I do like Christian Barmore. I'm not entirely opposed to edge rushers because I think there's some good ones, but I think it would be it would be something that would set off the media and Packer fans and a whole bunch of stuff. And, and not necessarily in a way that I think is completely unfair. <laughs> I'll put that soundbite out there now, and then I'll try to negate myself later when they do it. Um, Linebacker, I'm generally opposed to first-round linebackers as a rule. I do like some of these guys, but I liked Patrick Queen last year. Patrick Queen was horrible. I have a hard and fast rule that first-round linebackers are kind of trash. Nobody agrees with me. Nobody likes that, but it is what it is. I just, it just doesn't work out. I would be excited, but it's, again, it's just the excitement of, oh, that means we got an awesome, that's the thing. We get excited because we assume If you draft somebody in the first round, they're going to be great, right? The first round player is always the great player, which is just, it's kind of rarely true. I usually say that about half of first round picks are good. I don't even know if it's half, to be completely honest with you, especially when you're talking about at the end of the first round. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to be mad if we get a linebacker because my thought is if the Packers are doing this, they must really think this guy can, can pull it off. This is a team that generally avoids linebackers. So if they're going to take a first round linebacker, they really, so that's, what's going to get me excited about it. Um, I'm not a Greg Newsom fan, obviously not a big fan of getting a running back. Um, the safeties I'm kind of out on, not entirely opposed to it, but I just don't see a giant role. Like, you know, a tackle is a right tackle. He plays every down and he's massively important on every single offensive play, whether we're running or whether we're, uh, passing massively important role on every single down, a third safety. Eh, I mean, granted, safeties in general, not necessarily important on every single down, but just the nature of the thing, you know. Free safety probably didn't have a lot to do with that sack in the you know backfield or stopping the run, unless he's able to come all the way up or whatever. But, um, you know, interior offensive line, there's some good players. But again, it's a little early, so I would I would be okay with it. But at the same time, like, yeah, that kind of stinks. And then corners, again, I'm, I'm not really big on Newsom. Um, I would be fine with Asante Samuel just because I like the way that he plays. I, I guess I'd be okay with Greg Newsom too. It would just make me very nervous because the parallels to Kevin King are are many. So just looking in the range that I think is realistic, wide receiver, tackle, and corner are kind of the three positions. Defensive line, maybe, but it, it's looking like uh, Christian Barmore is long gone and Levi and Wuzurike is uh, kind of a later second round prospect. But again, the Packers like to take like mid to late second round guys in the first round so that everyone can trash them for taking guys too early. And then they usually play very well. So Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, Asante Samuel at corner, Elijah Moore, um, Terrace Marshall, Rondale Moore, Kadarius Toney at wide receiver. And I'm, I'm 
becoming a massive fan of Kadarius Tony. I mean that that's like that's like my hidden seek that my hidden favorite, right? Like the the logical part of my brain says we probably should go offensive tackle here, right? If if you told me what do you think would be the best pick for the Packers to to you know become a really good team or what is the most important thing for them to do, I think they have to lock in a tackle, especially when you talk about Bakhtiari being out for a long time. The offensive line could be in in pretty serious trouble early on. I really think getting a tackle like Samuel Cosme like Tevin Jenkins, like, uh, you know, whatever, is is probably the most important thing. If you ask me the guy that I'm most excited about, it's probably Kadarius Toney. But it's, it, I mean, it, it's it's easy to get excited about a guy that's going to be making big plays and is going to be making highlight reel stuff. It's hard to get excited about a guy, I mean, not super hard, but, you know, offensive tackles don't get a lot of highlight reels, but they help you get the highlight reels. You know, if A.J. Dillon is, is rumbling down the field for 30 yards, it's probably because an offensive lineman made it happen. If Aaron Rodgers made a great highlight reel play down the field to Devontae Adams, it's because the offensive line let him do it. And, and you know, again, you look at uh, the Tampa Bay game, same thing that happened in the Super Bowl. The reason the Chiefs didn't win is because their offensive line fell apart. Big part of the reason the Packers didn't do very well in that game is because the offensive line played like garbage in that game. And not just because David Bakhtiari wasn't there. They went up against Aaron Donald the week before and erased him. Tampa Bay comes to town, comes to town, and again, the offensive line just falls apart. Plays terribly. So I do think the logical part of the brain says get an offensive lineman. Um, based on um, you know the guys that are here, I think either Leatherwood uh, or Cosme are probably the two that I like the most. Jalen Mayfield does make sense just as a right tackle, but I like the versatility of Cosme and Leatherwood, and I also think that uh, you get a little bit more of, although, well, Leatherwood's from Alabama, so I don't know if that's the, I don't know, Cosme makes sense. That that might be the guy I just put a stamp on, and and based on the big board, he's sitting right at 30, which makes it seem like he's kind of in that right spot. That's probably where I'm going right now. But again, there's not a lot of guys here that I'm not going to do backflips over. You know, it might take me a while to get revved up about drafting Zayvon Collins, but I'll get excited. Greg Newsom and... Uh, Let's see, scrolling through here, and where is he? Davion Nixon are the two that they could draft, right? I'd be like, oh, come on, man. But again, even even uh, even Newsom I could get excited about because the prospect of having a second really good corner is exciting. Zach Jason in the Facebook group says, if you couldn't be a Packers fan, what would be your favorite team and why? I've kind of bounced around on this. When I was younger, the Patriots were my second favorite team because I have family out in Boston. Then they started winning all the time, and I jumped ship. I am the opposite of a uh, Fairweather fan, outside of the Packers. I'm never going to jump ship when the Packers are successful, obviously. They've been successful my entire life, and I haven't jumped ship. But I just I just hate it when my second favorite team is really, really good. Um, I started liking the Falcons for a while, um, honestly, because of Roddy White and because of their the color of their uniforms. The black and red is, is the coolest color of any team. I just, I've always liked that, that just the black on black with the just red, red, just, it just, it's awesome. Like I always wanted a Dodge Viper that was black with the red racing stripes. I thought that would be the cool, the, the, the number one car that you could get would be that. After that, it became the Buffalo Bills. And I think that's where I'm settling now. We'll see how good they get. But um, I had a roommate in college, Ben, that was a giant Buffalo Bills fan. I don't exactly know why, but um, in college, he actually took us to several Buffalo Bills games. And uh, none of them were in Lambeau Field. We took a road trip, me, him, and his girlfriend, out to Buffalo. I think I've told this a few times before, but um, it was very cool. By the time we got out there, I remember going to a bar and getting some buffalo wings, and it was the best wings I've ever had. They actually put the recipe up 
on the wall. And it's basically like, yeah, we well, just, you take the wing and you just drop it in this vat of butter. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense why it tastes delicious. But uh, the people were out there were super cool. I remember, you know, being in the Midwest, if you're not in Wisconsin, you say you're a Packers fan, people just like, oh, you're a Packer. Because you're probably in Illinois or Minnesota or something. But I went out there and, you know, my roommate was saying, hey, he's not a, uh, He's not a Bills fan. They're like, oh, yeah, what are you? And I said, I'm a Packer fan. Oh, we love the Packers. Everybody out there, oh, we love the Packers, man. Packers are awesome. My kid's a huge, you know, Favre fan or whatever. I think this this was still in the Rodgers era, but whatever. Everybody out there loved the Packers. Like, oh, yeah, dude, Packers are awesome. I love the Packers. You know, it's AFC. They're far apart, similar markets, whatever. But it was cool. And then, you know, some people invite us out like, yeah, we're going to be at the Mudlot. Come hit us up. We went out there and just hung out with them. And they're just, they, uh. You know, going to school at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, you're not going to find a lot of people that partied as hard as we did. We actually did a tour just to, for, for people that are outside of Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin is kind of known for, for partying. We and a couple of my friends at Whitewater went to other colleges. Nobody partied like we did. We went to Madison. That's a joke, by the way. People in Madison don't party. They study. They have big parties because there's a lot of people there. They don't party. We went up there and we're like, dude, let's, let's, you know, have some fun. Like, I can't, man. I got to test. It's like, so do I. I'm not going. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? But we went out to Buffalo and um, that was pretty wild. And they were extremely generous. Whatever they had, and we'll leave out what it was that they had, they gave to us. But uh, it was a lot of fun. So until Buffalo is extremely successful and obnoxious, that's probably going to be my second favorite team. JJ Leahy says, does PFF have college grades on Jordan Love? Yes, in fact, they do. And I'm actually kind of glad that you asked that because although I've looked at this several times, I haven't looked at it since they've added in these new um, new things. So let's take a look at some of these things. Now, I think I've talked about his, you know, PFF grades and whatnot um, a little bit in the past, but maybe not. I don't know. So what is kind of common knowledge is 2018 was his massive breakout. This guy's really good year. 2019, he regressed. But... He still wasn't that bad. His overall grade in 2019 was a 75 overall. Now, he had some terrible games, and I think that's what sticks out in people's minds, specifically the LSU game. And in fact, the biggest reason I did not like Jordan Love coming out is because I watched one game of his, didn't feel the need to watch a lot of quarterbacks, wasn't expecting to draft any. But I watched his one game, and if you just go to YouTube and type in Jordan Love verse, the first one that comes up is LSU, probably because it was a historically bad game. And what I remember watching was he actually looked really good in the game, and then right at the very end, there would just be this one throw that was just bad. Like, what was that? In that game, he had 30 attempts, only 15 completions for 130 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. He ended up throwing 17 interceptions that year. Now, keep in mind, in 2018, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions. 2019, 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. So he goes from 32-6 as a ratio to 2017. Some other things to keep in mind about Jordan Love, I believe they had a new offensive coordinator. The entire offensive line went away. There was a massive amount of turnover. So there's a new offensive line that is just, he had one of the worst offensive lines in football. It was terrible in college football. And there was a new scheme that he had to learn. And something else to note that I don't know if I've ever pointed out before, his bad games were all at the beginning of the year. So um, weeks one, five, six, and eight were when things were really bad. If you start in week nine, though, things started to get better. 63, 72, 88, 67, 60, 70, 76 were his grades. He didn't really have one bad game starting in week nine, 
but he had a flurry of 51 overall against Nevada Week 8. LSU was 46. Colorado State was 54. And then Week 1 against Wake was 54. So he started to turn it back around. So that, that's the whole thing. So 2018, he was really, really solid, right? Completed 64% of his passes, 3,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. His big-time throw percentage, and I haven't immersed myself in this enough to know, like I know, you know, the whole rule with 10%, 12% pass rush. I need to start immersing myself a little bit more in some of these stats to know what's good and what's not, but big-time throw percentage. Now, I'd have to look at their exact definition of what that is, but you know generally what that is. And it's not just like 20-yard passes. It could be a lot of different things. But what percentage of the time does he throw a pass that is considered a big-time throw? In 2018, it was 4.5%. In 2019, he was a little bit more fast and loose, went up to 6.4%. The other thing, though, is his turnover-worthy plays. Went from 2.8%, which is pretty low. It's kind of, if you look at some of the big-time guys this year, um, it's around the Mac Jones level. 2.4, 2.4, Justin Fields 2.3, Zach Wilson is a freak at 1%, but Trevor Lawrence is at 3.4%, so it was a little lower than even Lawrence. Um, if we look at, for example, they have these new grades for play action and screen, which I, who cares about screen passing, right? But play action matters. How good are you with play action passes versus non-play action? Because some guys are very dependent on play action type stuff, and you look at you know scheme dependent type stuff. Jordan Love was consistent. He had a 74 overall grade on play-action passes, a 73 overall grade on non-play-action passes. So it kind of doesn't matter. Um, most of, I mean, the vast majority of his production came with no play-action. Um, we're talking 25, about, about a fourth of the time was play-action. Three quarters were no play-action, but we're talking uh, 2,537 yards, 17 touchdowns, 13 interceptions from no play-action compared to 800 um, with play-action. And again, it's it's three touchdowns, four interceptions. So, so the ratios are all about the same. About 25% of his yards, his touchdowns, his interceptions. So he's, he's about the same no matter what. And screen and no screen, who cares? But suffice it to say, 74, 73, 73, 74. So he's unbelievably consistent no matter what the scheme is. Um, if you look at the passing depth, it's kind of interesting. It's actually extremely interesting. So in let's start with 2018, which is the year in which he did uh, quite well. Well, in both 2018 and 2019, he's a much better deep passer than a short passer, which is weird. Again, the grades are always a little higher on deep passes because statistically they're better grades. But even if you just look at the interceptions, you would expect there to be more interceptions on deeper throws. In 2018, three of his six interceptions came on passes between zero and nine yards. One on passes 10 to 19 yards and only two interceptions on 20 plus yard passes. In 2019, the grades are even massively different. In fact, he graded out poorly on short passes. He had an 87 overall grade and an 80. His deep passing or even his intermediate passing was better in 2019 than 2018. He had a borderline elite grade on passes between 10 and 19 yards, but he had a a below average grade on short passes. And if you look at a lot, and that's where most of his passes came, so obviously his grade was quite a bit lower. 34% of of the time he's throwing short passes. 932 yards, zero touchdowns, six interceptions. And I don't know how in the world you have uh, an interception behind the line of scrimmage, but he does. Behind the line of scrimmage, 525 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Um, His best area of the field was intermediate center, 492 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and also deep middle of the field, 551 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception. Then you get to pressure, and you really start to understand the issue here. And this is, this is not just 2019, it was also 2018. But again, remember what I said about how pressure impacts how good of a quarterback you are because it's just ratios. And it's even more so with Jordan Love because he is 
unbelievably good when there's no pressure. He is really bad when there's no pressure. And that didn't really change from 2018 to 2019, which leads me to believe the biggest issue with Jordan Love was the fact that his offensive line went all bye-bye. So his grade in 2018 when under pressure was a 49. His grade in 2019 was a 40, basically a 49, 48.7. So it's almost like the quarterback didn't really change. The offensive line changed. And so his overall grade went down because he spent more time under pressure. He went from 20% of the time to 28% of the time being under duress. But in both years, he was basically an elite quarterback, not basically, literally an elite quarterback while kept clean. In 2018, um, about 80% of the time he was kept clean, 246 completions, 71.5% completion percentage, 28 touchdowns, three interceptions, 5% of his throws were big-time throws, only 2.2% were turnover-worthy plays. He had 21 drops, which is pretty substantial, like 8% of the time his passes were dropped, which is something else to keep in mind. 2.07 seconds was his time to throw, 141 first downs, 121.2 passer rating when targeted. So used to doing that with wide receivers, 121.2 passer rating. So after looking at the whole thing, right, every stat that I think, is there anything else? I think that's it. Oh, no, he's got rushing grades. Let's go ahead and look at that quickly. Um, They gave him a 62 rushing grade and then a 53 in 2019. So PFF doesn't really like him as a runner. Um... 110 yards in 2018, 266 yards in 2019. He's kind of like an Aaron Rodgers runner, in my opinion. He's not an elite runner, but he can take off and run when you need him to. But again, the biggest thing with, with all this is, I think, the pressure. And it's, it's you know simple enough to say, well, if we really build up the offensive line, he can be a special quarterback, but that's still a concern, right? I mean, if you lose an offensive lineman, does that mean you lose the game? Like, if you have Bakhtiari goes down, like, are we just done? Are we toast? I still think that's an area that needs to be strengthened a bit. And I don't know, depending on the reasoning behind it, um, you know, maybe it's just a structure thing. Maybe he wasn't coached well enough to know what to do. You know, if he doesn't know to go to his hot right when the, the pressure starts to come in or if nobody's open or whatever the case is, that's maybe something coachable or schemable. If it's just that he has a lot of fear and he's hearing footsteps and, you know, it's a mental thing, I don't know that he's going to be able to get over that. And again, everybody is a little bit worse under pressure than not under pressure, but that's pretty severe to be elite and and on one end and uh, just flat out bad in the 40s under pressure. Dude, what happened to the time? It was like 4.32, five seconds ago, and now it's almost five o'clock. We got to take a break, come back and, and do some rapid fire here, as in like a question, and then we got to go. But thank you very, very much. I think I said thank you to Colt, but thank you very much to Colt Hatch. Maybe I didn't. Thank you very much to Colt Hatch for jumping in. How did I miss? Did you just do that, David? Where's my phone? It says April 2nd, which is today, but I don't have a note. Oh, it it literally just popped up on my phone. Thank you to David Davis for jumping in on the per year pledge, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. So thank you. For, I, was, I was coming on here to say thank you to Colt, and he was the second one on the list. And I'm like, no, it's it's the next guy on the list. But I was, it was so confusing because that literally just happened right this second. Thank you very much to Colt and David for jumping in on the Patreons. I really, really appreciate that. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy for as little as a dollar per month. You can help this show massively. As I said, a buck doesn't seem like much, but if everybody did it, it's, I mean, think about that. That's, that's unbelievable. And I'm hoping to get as close to as many people that can give a dollar, giving a dollar as possible. And uh, if you don't like those monthly charges, you can pay at a discounted rate. I think it's $10 for the year, um, for the year. And then you don't have to deal with these charges getting taken out and then your spouse being like, what is this? Why? What is this every month, a dollar? 
because I have to deal with that. Sometimes I'm the one doing it. Sometimes she's the one doing it. It depends if it's my thing or her thing. Super frugal when it's your spouse, right? What is this dollar a month? Do you need extra Google storage? This is a, this is a scam. You don't need family pictures for a dollar a month. How dare you? <laughs> but anyways, it would be greatly appreciated. Otherwise, a five-star iTunes review if you haven't done so yet. Remember, my show is the one that says Pack Daddy, not Packernet. I know it's confusing. It's just a thing. Whatever. It also says overtime on it, but that's going to be going away pretty soon. That's a whole other thing. We'll get to that when I get more information on it. But uh, overtime will be going bye-bye. But in the meantime, if you see the one that says overtime, that's mine. Leave a review there. But we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dalton asked, what is my biggest, our biggest positional gap on offense or defense? Positional gap. Clarify what that means. I don't know what you're talking about. TJ Hull says, enough about offensive tackle, defensive tackle, corner, and wide receiver. Are the Packers more likely to get Travis Etienne to go with Aaron Rodgers, Tommy Tremble to go with Big Dog, or Javante Williams to replace Jamal Williams? Well, it ain't Travis Etienne because we got A.J. Dillon. 
I don't think it's Javante Williams because, again, we got A.J. Dillon. That's going to be the one-two. Now, that's not to say we don't get a running back, but I don't think it's a first or second round running back, and I think Javante may actually go in the first round. I don't know. We'll see. That kind of leaves me with one very simple answer, and that's Tommy Tremble to go with the big dog. And by with the big dog, I think it means Tommy Tremble is going to be the big dog in training. Um, Tommy Tremble is one of the few really throwback kind of guys, which means he's probably going to fall in the draft, and the Packers will be one of the few that really want him on their team, and I mean really want him. Um, he's just, he's a good blocker. That's what he is. If you just look at the uh, the notes for him, uh, basically, first of all, looking at his grades here, if you just look at PFF's uh, little cheat sheet on him, receiving grade below average, yards per route run about average, drop rate 9.5, it's below average, contested catch 80%, it's a below average or slightly above average, run blocking grade 83.7, he's in like the 85th percentile. If you look at his pros and cons, the first note says unmatched, quote-unquote, want to as a run blocker, five big-time blocks in 2020. If you look at his third note, which gets me super jacked up, elite locating in space in the run game, like a predator stalking its prey. So, And it sounds like he's really good on the move, right? So one of the negatives is that as an inline blocker, he's maybe not exactly the greatest. In other words, standing there and taking on an edge rusher, he may struggle, which most of them will. But on the move, right, like getting out in space and finding somebody and going and blocking them, that's what he does. And I think that's still incredibly important. Something else that I think is interesting is that Tommy Tremble could actually be a fullback at 6'4", 248. Uh, there's a note here that says, in the right scheme, Tremble could very easily take the torch from Kyle Juszczyk as the league's best fullback. So he's got that explosiveness, but as a, as a true tight end, he's not like an NFL tight end today, which is kind of funny. It's like the NFL is shifting. Tight ends now are more like really big wide receivers. But fullbacks are kind of like tight end. They're they're kind of the bigger, blockier types that still have some athleticism, right? Like back in the day, fullbacks were just they, you know, coon, right? Ripkowski. You got a big beard, you're a lumberjack, and you smash into stuff. So it's kind of weird that that's something else to consider. And I know we have um, Deguara, but it's still something that you can play with. A a blocking tight end slash possible fullback. I mean, it's just it gives you that versatility. So Tremble is the answer to the question. Billy says, do you envision Jace becoming a starting caliber tight end that breaks out soon, or do you see him more as a draft bust that is a career backup at best? Um, two different points on it. Number one, what if, if you were to tell me right now, you just rip money out of my wallet and say, you're getting this back only if you guess correctly, I'm going to guess bust. Largely because, again, most players just aren't very good, just in general. And when he comes out of college and he's not playing well and he can't get win the job over anybody um, and he just is not getting it, we've seen this a thousand times. And, and there's always fans that are like, well, you got to give him time, got to give him time. And it's like, this is the same thing we do every time. And the last time you guys were right about this was, was what? Devontae? And you keep going back to Devontae. Oh, look at Devontae. Yeah, look at the other 15 guys you've done that for since then that are all bad. Um... But I will say this is kind of the last year for me. This is the last year of, okay, let's see what happens. And and remember, as I said, if you look at uh, Robert Tunyon compared to Jay Sternberger, they're, they're basically identical. Robert Tunyon in 2018 and 2019, his first two years, his grades were a 60 and a 55. Jay Sternberger in, a 50, in his first year, 60 and a 56. Nearly identical, Jace is slightly better. If you look at the statistics, Robert Tunyon had 77 yards and then 100 yards. Jace had 15 yards and 114 yards. So in his second year, he went up to 114 compared to Jace, who went up to 100. 
Tunyon went from four receptions to 10 receptions. Jace went from three receptions to 12 receptions. So basically, they, they're nearly almost perfectly identical, but Jace is slightly better in his second year than Robert Tunyon was. In uh, Robert's first two years, he had one touchdown and one touchdown. Jace had one touchdown and one touchdown. Again, identical. 100%, 1,000% identical. Year three, Robert Tunyon goes from 100 yards to 668 yards. He goes from one touchdown to 12 touchdowns. He goes from 10 receptions to 60 receptions. Massive breakout. So it's not impossible that Jace has a massive breakout, but I am going to say this is probably the last year I'm interested in even entertaining the idea of it. And he's got an uphill battle because Tunyon's obviously the guy, and DeGuara has a role on this team, and, and uh, you know Big Dog has a role on this team. So he's just got to fight to get on the team. I mean, to get on the field. But considering Tunyon was the exact same player in his first two years, exact same, which is why I always laugh. And I'm not a big Sternberger fan. I was coming out of college. I've He's really, um, I've, I've become less enthused about him over time. But when people try to trash Jace and talk about how great Tunyon is, it's like, you're out of your mind because they're the exact same guy. Tunyon was the exact same player as Jay Sternberger in his first two years. It makes no sense to say that Jace is trash and Robert Tunyon is great. They're the exact same guy in the first two years. Give him year three. If he doesn't do anything in year three, if there's no improvement in year three, then I'm kind of just over it. It's not impossible he breaks out in year four, year five, year ten. I don't know. Weird stuff happens sometimes. But this is kind of my last year for Jace. Um, if he breaks out, awesome. If he doesn't, then I, you know, swing and a miss, I guess. Uh, we'll do one last one. Jeff says, which of the Packers NFC North opponents will be the hardest to beat this upcoming season? At this point in time, it has to be the Vikings. They have a great wide receiver duo. I think they have a talented quarterback. They have a very talented running back. I think they're, uh, we'll see what happens with the offensive line. As of right now, I think it got worse. I'm sure they're going to be adding some pieces. The defense is getting Hunter back. They added two really talented defensive tackles in Pierce and Delvin Tomlinson. They may be adding another edge rusher to that. The corners are very young and growing into their second year, and some of those guys were getting pretty good down the stretch. So, I mean, they have a really, really serious uh, opportunity to become a very good team. They might still be garbage. I don't know, because there's a lot of things that could go either way, right? Maybe the corners don't get better. Maybe Hunter takes a slight step back, which is a massive difference because he's one of the keys of this team. Um, can uh, Dalvin Cook stay healthy? What does Justin Jefferson's second year look like? Can he maintain what he did in year one, which is just unheard of? You know, there's also a lot of age and guys getting older and, you know, are guys going to get better now that some of their friends are returning? Do the safeties and linebackers improve now that the defensive line improves? Or are they going to continue to, you know, age and get worse? So a lot of questions, but there's almost no doubt that the Vikings, as of right now, and we'll reevaluate this as time goes on, are getting better. The, the the Bears don't even have a quarterback. The Lions barely have a quarterback. I think they're going backwards with Goff. They lost Galladay. I mean, it, it's really not even a question. I would say the Lions are probably the worst right now just because it's, I mean, as much as I love to trash the Bears for what a horrible job they've done in running that team, and they did give away a ton of talent, um, they're at least trying to hang on, and they've hang, hung on to a couple key pieces pretty much all of them on defense, and I'm more or less just talking about Mack and Hicks, I guess. I don't know. But the Lions have kind of embraced the teardown, and so they're going to have to just eat it for, for at least a year, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, it's 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 kind of a no-brainer. Again, we'll reassess it, but as of right now, it's it's clearly the Vikings. But anyways, lots and lots and lots and lots more questions, and I appreciate all of that, so much so that I may have to do a podcast tomorrow uh, just with some more Q&As and whatnot. But I have got to get going. I'm way over time. You folks have yourselves a glorious, wonderful Friday. I will talk to you probably tomorrow. If not, though, check out YouTubes, because there should be something on the YouTubes if you just miss me dearly. 
Pack Daddy NFL. Have a good day. Bye-bye.